Good morning, everyone. So just to recap, from two weeks ago, we celebrated the baptism of the Lord, and we reflected and pondered on the truth of who we are as baptized Christians, and that is the same as Christ, a beloved son of the Father, a beloved daughter of the Father, and that that is our identity when we are washed clean in the waters of baptism. And then, as beloved sons, as beloved daughters, we form God's family And God's family becomes that E-word, that's a Greek E-word that I taught you last week, if you remember it, right? Ekklesia, right? Ekklesia meaning the people who have been called out of the world into Christ Jesus to be saints, right? That was all last week, right? Called out of the world into Christ to be saints. And so now in our third week, I want to continue this little series on what it means to be a baptized Christian. And so the question we're going to ask today is, what do baptized people do, right? What do saints do? What do God's sons and daughters do? And so when you ask somebody, what does a saint do? Probably the first thing you're going to hear is pray. And that's right. Saints pray, right? But you know, being a saint is more than just sitting in a church all day and praying. Is there something else to, some, to what it means to be a saint? Right? And I think that we can look to Jesus in the gospel to see what it means to be a saint, what it means to be a baptized Christian. But first, right, to really understand our gospel, we have to take a trip down history lane for just a moment, okay? And I want to introduce you to two of my friends, okay? They have some weird names, so don't hold it against them. Zebulun and Naphtali. Okay, Naphtali. All right, Al. Zebulun and Naphtali. So I want to introduce you to them. So everyone say hello, Zebulun. Everyone say hello, Naphtali. Okay, they're a little shy. Okay, so I'm going to talk about them today. They're not going to talk about themselves. All right? So everyone said hello. Now you know who these people are. Well, who is Zebulun and Naphtali? Zebulun and Naphtali are two people who lived way back in history. And they had a great-grandfather that you might know him. He had a very, you know, popular name. His name was Abraham, right? Abraham. Abraham was their great-grandfather. So we know Abraham. Abraham has Isaac, and he's called to sacrifice Isaac. Now, he doesn't do it, right? But God sees his faith. Isaac has a son named Jacob, right? And then Jacob has 12 sons, which you know if Jacob was in the New Testament, he'd be Catholic. (laughs) So 12 sons, right? Twelve sons. And long story short is these twelve sons and Jacob find themselves migrating to Egypt, right? And they settle there and they grow in number. And so this little uh, family turns into a bigger family and a bigger family and a bigger family. And finally, these twelve families become twelve tribes, right? Become twelve big groups of people who are settled in Egypt, hanging out, enjoying their life. But after many, many years, what begins to happen is that these Egyptians begin to enslave them. And so now they're working for the Egyptian government, so to speak. They're persecuted. They're oppressed. And then this guy named Moses, you ever heard of that guy before? He's pretty popular. He gets raised up by God and God says, hey, Moses, you go get those 12 tribes. They're my people. You go get them and bring them to me. right? And so what happens is Moses leads these massive tribes out of Egypt, 
and they become God's people. And so two of those tribes that he saved, they are the tribe of Zebulun and Naphtali. And so they're wandering through the desert, right? They're complaining a lot. And they finally reach this land that God told them that he'd give to them. They cross over the Jordan and they finally say, okay, guys, well, let's make a deal. How about, hmm, Benjamin, you go over here. Uh, Zebulun and Naphtali, I know you're shy, so how about you go to the north? You just settle up there, right? You don't have to be next to everyone. You go to the north. So Zebulun and Naphtali, they make their way to the north part of uh, Jerusalem, right? The Holy Land. And they are just fine and dandy. They don't have to talk to anybody. They just live their lives, right? But something happens. You ever heard of this guy named David? Right, King David. King David arises and he starts building this massive kingdom, right? And it's so powerful. They're conquering other people, right? And they're building and building and building, right? They are the United Kingdom, right? But they're not under the queen, okay? They're under the King David, okay? But something devastating happens. Just like most families, they have a family feud. And ten of the tribes separate from two of the tribes. You have the separation of this powerful kingdom, right? And you know the saying, a house divided cannot stand. And so in 700 BC, 700 years before Jesus Christ steps on the scene, this powerful enemy of theirs, it's called Assyria, comes in and takes over all the 10 tribes. But guess who they attack first? Shy little old Zebulun and Naphtali. Poor guys. And so they take them, they take all their people, and they exile them from their land, they deport them from their land, and they scatter them amongst the surrounding region. But this is the thing, y'all, is that they never go back home. They never go back home to their land. Now, in the midst of all this darkness and chaos... There's this guy named Isaiah that pops up on the scene, and he starts prophesying. And he has this powerful prophecy that we heard in our first reading. He says, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, anguish has taken wing. There was distress, and the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Upon those who dwelt in the land of gloom, a light has shone. And so this prophecy that this light is going to come in the midst of your dark times is hanging over them. This is like the tension they're feeling. Like, we know we're suffering. This is not a good time for us. We're not home. But yet Isaiah tells us that there's going to be a light that comes to us. There's, there's hope. There's hope for us. And so that's the, that's the tension that we find. They never go back home. Now, my brothers and sisters, now we can look to the gospel, right? Jesus is baptized. He goes into the desert. He's strengthened. He's tested. He's nourished, right? He's trained 40 days and 40 nights. And my brothers and sisters, after he goes into the desert, what's the first thing that he does as part of his public ministry? Matthew tells us, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth. And went to live in Capernaum by the sea. Here we go. Ding, 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 ding. In what regions? The region of Zebulun and Naphtali. And what does Matthew do for us? 
he takes us back to Isaiah the prophet. And he quotes Isaiah, and he says, Land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way to the sea, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. And those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death, light has arisen. So little old Zebulun and little old Naphtali, right, they've seen the great light, but the question is not is what is the light, the question is who is the light? It's a man who's from Nazareth, and who claimed to be the light of the world. His name is Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. And so Jesus Christ is the light that steps into the dark times, right? Zebulun and Naphtali are the first to go into exile. And so what does Jesus do? What's the first thing on his mind? What's the first piece of business that he has to take care of? He's going, he's beelining it straight to Zebulun and Naphtali and saying, hey, you're coming with me. You're coming with me. You see, in the very place where the exile began, Jesus is beginning to undo the exile. He's beginning to come to gather his people as one for the rest of eternity. And so, my brothers and sisters, I want to look at this in the context of Jesus' baptism. Because Jesus is baptized, and the first thing that he does is he goes and gets trained, and then he goes out. You see, he left Nazareth. That's his home. He was comfortable. He could have stayed in Nazareth. His mama could have cooked him a lot of home-cooked meals, right? He had a good business that he was doing. But he said, that's not my mission. That's not why I came. I came to save the world. I came to bring light into the darkness. And so Jesus doesn't stay in his comfort zone. He goes out into mission territory. And he goes to Zebulun and Naphtali, and he says, hey guys, I'm coming for you and you're coming with me, so let's go back. Let's go back home. And so that speaks to every single one of us, my brothers and sisters, because as baptized Christians, as sons and daughters in the Son, we have to imitate Jesus Christ, which means we can't stay at home. This is our home. But we can't stay here. We come here to get strengthened, we come here to get nourished, we come here to get trained, and then we're sent out to go back into the world. You ever notice how we end every single Mass? The priest dismisses you, right? There's four options that the priest has at the end of Mass that he can tell you, but there's one word that is in every single option. You know what that word is? It's G-O. That spells go. So at the end of every Mass, the priest tells all the lay people who are sitting here, they say, he says, go, get out of here. Get out of here. Go. Go back into the world. Go back into the darkness and bring the light of the world who you just received. Bring him there. Go to them and say, hey, you're coming with me. I want to show you where my home is. I want to show you where you can find the greatest peace you've ever imagined. I'm going to show you the greatest love you have ever experienced. I want you to experience the person of Jesus Christ who is the light of the world. 
That's who we are, my brothers and sisters, is we're not just disciples. We are missionary disciples. We are people who follow Christ but then are sent out into the world. And if we don't recognize our identity, we become like stagnant water. You know what stagnant water is? It's a dangerous hazard for the environment around it. It creates disease, bacteria, and it affects its environment. And so if we're not missionary disciples, we become like stagnant water and we become a danger and a hazard to our community and the community around us. We have to be living water, water that rushes into the world. My brothers and sisters, that's who we are. We are missionary disciples. And we have to reclaim that identity and go back out into the world and bring the light of Christ. You know what he said to each and every one of us? You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. That's who you are. And so if we do not want to be a danger and a hazard to our own St. Thomas community, if we do not want to be a danger and a hazard to our Long Beach community, we have to rediscover who we are. Beloved sons and daughters of a good, good father. Men and women who have been called out of sin, out of the world, into Jesus Christ, called to be saints and missionary disciples, following after Jesus. We're missionary because that's what Jesus was. Our brothers and sisters, let us not fail to take he who we receive and bring him out into the world. Bring him out into the darkness. You are the light of the world. Be who you are.